This podcast contains details about sexual abuse and murder. Listener discretion is advised. In the last episode, we talked about how Jack infiltrated the Stocks family, all while creating and maintaining his control over Heath. In this episode, we will discuss Heath's year in college, as well as Jack's continued control, even from a distance. We will be hearing from Charles Peckett, Kelly Cunningham, Keith Anthony, Heath Stocks, as well as Kip Kiso, who is a polygraph examiner that specializes in sexual offenders. Kip could not have been more accommodating when I reached out to him. I had seen an interview he did in Dylan's Scout movie and saw his background and his experience with sexual offenders. And so I knew that it would be very beneficial to have him speak with us. And he was getting ready to go out of town and just set it up within a couple days and was very happy to talk. So my name is Kip Kiso, and I'm a polygraph examiner. Well, my mom was a therapist. That was her career. Um, I actually have the same degree as she does, but she kind of uh, inspired me to go get the same degree back in the day because I'm very interested in human behavior and psychology and stuff, which kind of helps me with polygraphs and uh, profiling uh, sexual offenders and kind of getting the brain of how they think and operate. So at this point, Heath has graduated high school. He's going on to college in Arkadelphia, meeting new people, making new friends. For instance, Keith Anthony, who we've mentioned was his best friend in college. Keith is a school teacher and a coach. And he met up with us one day right after he'd gotten off work. And he mentioned how every few years somebody will reach out to him and want to do an interview about this case. He is always willing to because he wants the story to be told. Was in a dorm room, was in the uh, on the quiet floor of the dorm room, very top, eighth floor. And I heard somebody over next door just beating on something. Boom, 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 boom. And constantly just beating. I'm like, what in the world? So next door, knocking on the door, said, man, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm punching bag. He put a punching bag in his wall. And uh, as I heard just punching, he had weight benches. And that's what, how we met. We got to lift and weights every morning. Wow. Uh, and we, he was by sitting in the living room by himself. And I was in the door by myself. And we just, that's how we became 5, 30 in the morning. We'd get up lift weights for two hours. And that's how we became... Good friends. Nice. Um, so was, he just lived across the hall from you guys? Yeah, like, well, like, like room. No, it was like mm. the, our walls were, at first, were, were there. You know, he's in his next door. I'm next door. I went across. It was, I, I came through the wall. I sat cell. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing <laughs> next door to me, beating on the wall so much? And that, mm-hmm. that's why he's doing a butcher bag. Wow. And so okay. that's, how we, that's how we met. What was your first impression of him? Uh, he was different than what I'm used to. Uh, he had long, no long hair, uh, you know, and... Talked a little different to me. Uh, drove a, a Volvo, so it was I drove a Ford pickup truck, and so it was it was different than how I usually hung out with. Mm-hmm. Um, he had had them backwards, and you know it, it was it was two opposites there. Uh, so, but you know through football and Luton Wake, that's that's how we became you know good friends. Nice. You know. When you say he talked different than you, what do you mean? Well, just you know, southern southern country accent. He was you know from Lone Oak. Little Rock Central, so his his accent was a little bit different than, oh, okay. and you know, and I, you know, of course, I talk, you know, still talk countries all get out, but he was more city folk, more mm. cityfied, didn't hunt much, didn't fish much, you know, and so it's like he was true opposite guys that, that became pretty good friends. That's awesome. Cool. So you guys hung out a lot then? Oh yeah, it was it was we left the weights every day, six days a week, five thirty morning we got into weights for till seven thirty. And then after school, after we got out of college, we, I mean, after classes, we either went to eat or 
you know, we were we were together almost every day just about doing something together. Wow. Okay. What kind of things would he talk to you about? Uh, just a lot of sports, um, uh, football, because, you know, he won a state championship the year before he came to Henderson. He was, he's two, I think two years, a year and a half younger than me. I think he'd be able to be 94, and I was 93, so I think it's a year. You know, he, he had a state championship ring, and uh, we a lot of football, uh, a lot of weights, a lot of girls. You know, he, we were both dating people, um, and just, you know, just typical boy stuff, um, you know, just... Uh, drinking and just having having a good college life, you know, sure. it, was, it was fun. Nice. Um, so, uh, but we, uh, it, he talked about his his Boy Scout leader. He did. Um, it was always about getting in the army, getting to be a sniper, and and that kind of stuff. He he he, he talked he talked about Jack his, his Boy Scout leader, but he never you know never came out with. We we discussed Boy Scouts because I was in up into it to try to get out, and he went all the way through. I, I can't remember if he was Eagle Scout or not. I can't remember if he was or not. Yeah, yeah, he was. I think, yeah, yeah. I think he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we, you know, we talked about stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And so. Oh, did he ever talk to you about his family? Oh yeah, he, his sister. Oh my God, he loved his sister. Um, he always he he's like you know you can't date her. Just <laughs> that was that was against against you know he loved his mom, him his dad. Uh, did see eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, he said his dad was always hard on him, always wanted him. He never was quite good enough for his dad, um, even though, you know, you won a state championship. But it's just, he just, he's always talking his heart on him. But his mom, sister, grandmother, oh, my gosh, it was just, it was nothing but good things to say about him. That's what, when it, when it happened, just his sister is what blew my mind. Just, just blew my mind. He also has Jack's control over him still. Jack won't let him go. Heath dates girls. Jack wants him to come tell him everything about it. He guided Heath what to wear, what to say, what to do. The kind of things that a father would, but not in a good way. Heath is still looking to Jack for that fatherly advice because he did provide some of that. Heath talks about how Jack would... Tell him how to act on dates, what to wear, how to act when you meet the parents to impress them, different stuff like that that fathers do tell their sons. But on the other hand, he's also telling him, don't fall in love, you'll get hurt, just like we've seen in the past when Heath had that girlfriend in high school. And like you said, he's still pressuring Heath to give him all the details about what he's doing with this girl and also to bring the girl back to the group. And that has to be very conflicting because Heath has been under Jack's control for so long. And now he's out on his own. He's going to college. He's dating girls. He's also seeing that there's other things in life, and he's starting to have feelings for these girls and wanting to date them more seriously and wanting relationships and wanting to be with them more. And that's something that Jack couldn't handle. While in college, Heath meets Kelly Cunningham, who we've talked to in previous episodes, and they start dating, and eventually both of them start to develop pretty deep feelings for each other. I remember seeing him in class, and honestly don't remember exactly why we started talking. I do remember our first date. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> we met at uh, Pizza Hut in Arkadelphia and had lunch, and... When I left, I was like, what 
what kind of car is that that has the peace symbol thing on the front? <laughs> I was so dumb, I didn't know that it was a Mercedes. <laughs> he drove a Mercedes. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy drives an expensive car. <laughs> so I was kind of shocked at that being a little country girl, I guess. Sure. Wasn't around many Mercedes in Sheridan. <laughs> I don't think I was around many Mercedes in college. <laughs> <laughs> no, me But uh, So yeah, we uh, had lunch and I guess we just kind of hit it off and Nice. Dated after that. Okay. Uh, what was your initial impression of him? I thought he was very attractive. Um, I honestly didn't think he would talk to me because he looked, you know, kind of the preppy preppy boy, you know, had the, the perfect hair and dressed really nice and, you know, just not somebody that I would expect to be interested in me. But, uh, but he was super nice. He was somebody very approachable. I didn't have to, you know, think that he wasn't going to talk to me because, I mean, he just was very, very nice. Nice. What did you like about him? Um, he was very talkative. I mean, I learned about his playing football in high school and then winning the state championship and... Um, I actually met his parents and his sister one time, stayed at his house and uh, when his sister was in a pageant and um, met his family. And, I mean, I mean, just just hung out yeah. at college and later on met his grandparents or grandma and his aunt. They really cared about each other. And while it wasn't a super long relationship, it was powerful. So Heath is telling Jack that he's got these feelings for Kelly and Jack does not like that at all. He is telling Heath right away to break it off in the relationship, just like he was instructing him to do when he had his girlfriend in high school. And simultaneously, he's telling Heath to bring her back to the group as well. Let us all share her. And that's something that Heath is absolutely not going to do. So Heath says that one of his and Jack's first major disagreements is over Kelly. That's not very surprising because Jack had to feel like he was losing control over Heath. He had been so used to having Heath just be there at his beck and call to do whatever he wanted. He could stop by his house. He could go over whenever he wanted. And now Heath's at college and he's found someone that might take him away from Jack. Heath is finally starting to see that there's more than just Jack. He loves Kelly and he wants to be with her, but Jack won't allow it. Jack is telling Heath, you need to break up with her in the relationship. And when Heath refuses to do that, Jack basically says, break up with her or you have to kill her. And thankfully for Kelly, he broke up with her. And it was crushing that it was someone that he loved and someone that he wanted to be with. And to have spent your life being abused and controlled by this man, and then you meet this girl in college who makes you feel good, and you love being around her, and you have feelings and emotions for her now, and then he's told that can't happen. And then from Kelly's perspective, she's in this relationship with a guy that she really likes, and she's got those feelings as well, and it is just abruptly ended. And I just knew that Jack was that person because Jack was the reason that he broke up with me. He told me that Jack told him that he didn't like, you know, him being so involved with me so his choices were that he could either break up with me 
or get rid of me. So he broke up with me, which I'm very grateful that's all he did. Um, but yeah, so Jack ruined not only his family, but his relationships as well. So when you say get rid of? I would only assume that meant kill me. Because he knew that I was head over heels for him. And it hurt really bad when he broke up. And um, I, don't, I can't remember if it was after he was in jail when he told me that or if it was before. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that if it was before, I probably would have told the police, you know, sure. that Jack made him break up with me for the same reason. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, I feel like he took something from me, too, you know. During all of this, Heath's grades are not great in college at all. He ends up flunking out of college, and then he has to move back home. His dad is furious because he's back home, under his roof again, and not working, but now he's also closer to Jack. It's almost like Heath is spiraling at this point. He's drinking a lot, he's using drugs, and he's getting into trouble. He's trying to form some sort of life for himself, whether join the military, get a job, trying to figure out what he wants to do. And he doesn't quite know. He ends up getting a DWI, and then he's fearful that that is going to keep him from joining the military. And Jack's still around, always. Heath's parents are concerned about him. They don't know what's going on. And they don't know what he went through at college in regards to his relationship with Kelly. And so they say, hey... You should go talk to Jack because Jack has been your mentor for over a decade, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to continue that. He wants to stay as far away from Jack as he can. Heath doesn't want to go to Jack's. He doesn't want to continue to go there for advice. And every time he sees him, he's abused. So it's understandable that he doesn't want to go to his mentor for help with this situation. So he doesn't go see Jack. And rather than just allowing that to be, his parents push it and they go to Jack and they say, hey, Heath is still struggling. Why don't you come over to our house? Come on over. Heath is going to be home. We're not going to be home. Go on in. So Heath didn't have a choice. There were multiple times when Heath would get home thinking his parents are away. He's going to have the house to himself and he shows up and Jack's already there waiting for him. He'll be home watching TV, just relaxing. Jack pops in anytime, anywhere. You can't get away from him. This overwhelming feeling of I'm trapped, I can't escape. There's nowhere I can go. It's nowhere safe, even in my own room. And just, you know, this, you know, it was, it was the beginning of the very end before I really broke and, share, and started sharing with, with Heather. And and mom and everything after that. So um, it was, and I can't remember, there was something, there was something that he said that just really, something about you can't avoid me, there's nowhere you can't go, that I can't, that I won't be, or that we can't be together, or, and it was just this overwhelming feeling of um, helpless. I just felt like there was no, no getting away. I think what might be called concern from Heath's parents, Joe and Barbara, 
comes across more as anger from Joe because he's constantly riding Heath, threatening to kick him out, telling him he needs to get it together. And at this point, the tension between Joe and Heath is growing. So Heath is back again, and it's the same kind of struggles now, using his money, he has to pay for him, he has to pay for his food. So again, he just wants to turn to Jack and have Jack supposedly mentor Heath again. And of course, Jack is saying, oh, I'll help Heath get a job. I'll get him on at Remington. I'm a manager. So that's what he's telling Joe and Barbara, using that as his disguise, his cover to continually call Heath and talk to him. So Joe and Barbara think, why aren't you listening to Jack? He's offering you this job, offering you this opportunity and still just pushing that relationship. And they don't understand why Heath wouldn't want to go work at Remington with Jack. Jack would be his supervisor. I can't think of a worse situation than that. The one person you try, hopefully, to get away from at some point in your life, you flunk out of college, you go home and everybody says, hey, go work with this guy now. That has to be such a helpless feeling for Heath because, like we said earlier, he was at college. He got a little bit of a taste of that distance between him and Jack, but now he's back home and... If he's going to go work at Remington, then it's just no end in sight. So it's around this time that Heath is home one day by himself. Jack pops in because he obviously knew Heath was going to be home by himself. And he goes to Heath's room and he says, hey, let's talk about this. What's going on? Your parents said that you're having struggles and that I should stop by and see you. Talk to me about it. He opens the alcohol. He puts in a pornography tape. And the sexual abuse happens again. Heath is older now, and he talks about how even at this point, he didn't have any control. He was not able to say no to Jack. That was just something that you didn't do, and he didn't even think about it. When we talk about that and how Jack shows up to see how Heath is and his parents told him, come over, we're not home, that really reminds me of how we talked previously about the boys in their bedrooms or their homes, and that's the place they felt safe. And Heath is home and still not safe because now he doesn't want to go to Jack's house, so he stays home. And his parents just say, come on over, letting Jack into the deepest parts of their lives. And Jack takes full advantage of that, popping up whenever he wants. On this particular day, though, Barbara came home a little early. And she walked in the door and found something far worse than anything she could ever imagine. Two weeks before the murders, his mom come home and Jack and, and Heath was in bed together. And uh, his mom left. And then I guess that's when the Jack left, after his mom left. But they were, the, I think Jack was sleeping when, they, when, they, when she came in and saw them. So I don't know exactly when he left. She went to her pastor. Her pastor is supposed to go to the police or something like this. She could have went to the police. The police department that she would have went to would have been Lone Oak County Sheriff's Office because that's who had jurisdiction out there. Why she didn't go to them, I don't know. She didn't know what to do when she saw that. So she leaves without saying a word. She gets in the car and just drives down the street and sits and waits and watches the house until Jack left. 
I'm sure it was very overwhelming for Barbara to see that. And we can all say what we think we would have done in that situation, that we would have immediately gone to the police or something like that. But we also have to think about Barbara had seen what happened when the Hogans tried to have Jack charged. The whole town rallied behind Jack. Everybody came to his defense. I'm sure she's probably thinking, what's the point? So she does what her initial instinct tells her to do. She tells her mom and she tells her pastor. That's a good point to bring up about the Hogans. At this point, no matter who thought it or suspected it of Jack, they saw what happened. They saw how an entire town rallied against the person that came forward. So why would they want to subject their own family to that? When she saw Jack and Heath that day, she didn't confront Heath about it either. Heath didn't know until after the death of his family that Barbara had ever even seen that. So all of this has been building up. The abuse from Jack, getting kicked out of college, and everything else going on. And like you said earlier, Heath was just kind of in a spiral. And he and Heather ended up getting into an argument about something. He said, you have no idea what Jack is like. He told her everything, what Jack had done to him his entire life. And Barbara comes in, and he tells Barbara. And so the three of them talk about it. And Heath really felt that Heather didn't believe him because she was close friends with his daughter at that time. And so now you have his mother, Reverend Marble, his grandmother, Heather. Multiple people now know that he's been abused for years and years, but it still stays silent. And days go by and Heath is waiting for something to happen. And he's just come clean about this. He's thinking that something's going to be done to put a stop to the abuse and nothing happens. And I think that the guilt starts to set in. And just like we talked about with Wade Knox, where Jack had ordered Wade to bring him a new little boy and Wade goes against Jack's orders, even though Wade stood by what he did, he still felt so guilty because of his loyalty to Jack. And that's what happens here, too, with Heath. He starts to feel guilty for telling his mom and his sister about the abuse. Can you imagine what that would feel like to go your entire life being abused by someone that the whole town loved? You feel trapped. You can't tell anyone. And then you finally do. You finally have the courage to say something to your family. You come clean to your mom and you tell your sister. And to me, once you tell your mom something, it'll be fixed. Like you just get that off your chest She's going to take care of it now, and you feel safe. Imagine Heath is on this kind of like a roller coaster right now. He's been at college, away from Jack. He's come back. Now he's got to be around Jack. And now he's told his mom, and he's thinking, like you said, I'm safe. This is all going to come to an end. And now he's right back on that roller coaster because nothing's happening. That has to be such a lonely and like you said earlier, helpless feeling. So the control was there, and he had that same guilt that Wade had that we had talked to about in a previous episode. He had to confess to Jack what he had done. Jack has been a constant in his life, and he's probably getting nervous at this point, wondering what's going to happen, what's going to come of this. And Jack's always been that person that he turns to when he's unsure of something. He's the person that offers him guidance and reassurance, even though he's also the person who has been abusing him. So I think that also plays a role on why Heath felt like he needed to go tell Jack what happened. The silence of nothing happening after he told had to be terrifying because he knows what Jack is capable of. 
And so that gave him some time to think and to become more scared and to replay it in his mind. What is going to happen if someone says something to Jack? In his mind, he betrayed Jack. And Jack has conditioned him for so many years to know exactly what's going to happen if they go against Jack or if they betray Jack in any way. And Heath has that trauma bond to him. He knows that it's wrong, but he can't let go because he's so bound to Jack by everything Jack had put him through since he was a little boy. He still loves Jack. And thinks Jack's going to take care of him. Hearing this story and talking to everyone involved in it, it's heartbreaking because you have this going on your whole life and you finally get the courage to tell someone, your parents, but you are still so under that man's spell that he still controlled him. There was just no getting away. Jack's response to hearing that Heath's mom and sister now know about the abuse is something that nobody could have imagined happening. His response is so horrific that when Heath is asked to describe the worst time of Jack's abuse, this is what he describes. I want to stress that this next clip is going to be extremely hard to hear, but we feel that it is very important to share this because it really shows how evil Jack was and is and the level of control that he had over Heath. This would have been the, the last the last time that it happened before the shootings. He didn't sexually abuse me that last time. Um, I had went to his house, we were in his shop, and um, this is very uncomfortable. And I told Jack that uh, they knew, and he said no and no what. And I had told him that um, that Mom and Heather knew that I that I had told him about him and what he'd been doing. And of course, he blew up and said that how dare I betray him after he loved me and all the things that he'd done for me. And um, he just went on this rant about uh, you know all that he had done with my father and how could. Could I do this to him? And after defending and being there and being like a son to him, and he said that um, he said that all I was worth was a dog fuck. And um, I can remember him opening the door and calling in the Knoxes, uh, calling for the dog, the dog that the Knoxes had. He told me to pull down my pants. And you know, I thought he was going to sexually uh, assault me. Uh, and he told me to get on all fours and he dragged uh, uh, the dog over there and um, uh, he kind of pulled the, pulled the dog upon me. And uh, then he leaned back against the, the shelves where all the guns were lined around us and um, the dog was hunching on me and he, he rubbed himself and laughed at me. was uh, just mentally and uh, trying to be anywhere but there. Um, you know, I felt like I could see, you know, I, I tried to be outside of myself. Um, the last couple of years when things were very intense with my dad or Jack, um, 
I would try to mentally pull myself away from you know, what I was going through, just, just so it wasn't so intense because uh, uh, it just felt like I was, from times when I felt like I was going to pass out. If I had had access, I think, to drugs, uh, there were several times where I lowered a gun and tried to load myself up to kill myself and couldn't. Um, and, you know, and, and feeling shame and feeling like a coward that I couldn't take my own life again. And, and, and then coming to prison and the shame of never for a moment realizing that, you know, maybe I could have ran away or that somebody out there might have been able to end it. I mean, it was just, it seemed like after finally getting the courage to tell somebody, and I believe that mom or Heather could help me do what nobody else would do, you know, and then it not do anything. It just seemed like that in the combination with him still doing that and then punishing me for, it was just. We know that that was absolutely horrific to listen to. It's very hard to think about or even imagine that someone could force someone else to do something like that. But that is just another example of the level of control that Jack had over these boys. Because if you think about it, Heath is 20. And if someone tells you to do something like that or starts to initiate it, you would think in your mind, I'm just going to leave. But he couldn't. So sometimes people don't know why they keep on choosing the same relationships. But subconsciously at some level, or even consciously sometimes, people are bonded with the person who caused them trauma. But I see it all the time where somebody like Jack Walls, who groomed everybody in the, in the whole, he was the nicest guy in the world, community guy of the year, those kinds of things. So he groomed everybody around him. Oftentimes, be like the man of the year in the community. They, they work so hard to get everybody to see how great of a guy they are that they actually overdo it so much that they become man of the year because they get involved in so many things to be seen as good. And they're actually overdoing it because they just want to seem normal, actually, most of them so that they can hide the secrets that they're keeping. When this stuff comes out, a lot of times the community is divided because they're like, you know, Pastor Joe wouldn't do that. He's such a nice guy. But that's the complete intent of a groomer is that um, it's so devious that what, they have to plan all this stuff out. And this reminds me of how I heard a psychologist describe the control over sexual abuse victims and how it can continue to go on even after they grow up. And she likened it to a circus elephant. You have a baby elephant who has a chain around its leg. And it's listening to its trainer because it, it can't go anywhere. It has that chain. And so it has to do whatever that trainer tells it to do. Do the tricks. Do all this other stuff. And then that baby elephant grows into a big elephant. And that trainer is still the same size, but that adult elephant can't comprehend the fact that it's no longer a baby elephant with that chain. That elephant could now break that chain and walk right out of the circus tent. But he has been so conditioned in his mind that he doesn't know he even has that choice. The thought doesn't even occur to break free. Because it's all he knows. At this time, Jack's finest creation has become his biggest problem. 
And after this horrific event, Jack tells Heath that he needs to kill the problem. This now brings us to January 17th, 1997. And the Stocks family has been found murdered in their home. And Heath has just been found at Kelly's apartment and has been arrested for their murders. I never would have thought ever that he could have could have done that. That's why it was a shock when they came and got him. And I thought, well, they'll let him go, you know. And, and they never let him go. In the next episode, we will discuss the investigation of the Stocks family murders, as well as the timeline of events both before and after Heath's arrest. Were there any issues with how the crime scene and subsequent investigation were handled? Was pressure put on the family for Heath to plead guilty? Was Heath honest with the outside legal representation that was there to help him? And how long will Heath continue to protect Jack? Life Without, the untold story of Heath Stocks, is brought to you by Watts Productions and Block Party. Produced by Dylan Edward Allen, Colby Watts, and Katie Anthony. Archival materials provided by the Stocks family, the Harris family, Samantha Jones, and the Freedom of Information Act. Music by Colin Thomas. All information in this podcast is based on interviews from people close to the case, never-before-seen insider documents, legal documents, FOIA documents, victim impact statements, and sworn affidavits. All parties mentioned in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty. For more information on this podcast and Heath Stocks, visit heathstockspodcast.com. For more information about the groundbreaking Scouts film, which features Heath Stocks, visit scoutsdocumentary.com.